going to start by reading us Psalm 119. Once again, starting in verse 33. Yes, I recognize it's the same text I read last week. And yes, I'm just being obedient. So it seems that it needs to be heard again. So God, give us ears to hear. Give us sanctification, understanding, clarity, and conviction by your word. We recognize it is truth. We recognize it is life. We recognize our dependence upon it. And we pray that by your spirit we would have, we would receive this truth with joy, that it would take root in our hearts and bear much fruit. We pray that these words would become our words and, and this expression of gratitude and value and appreciation for your ways would be a reflection of us, the desires of our heart. As we want to know you more, Lord, as we want to draw closer to you, as we want to more effectively bear witness that you are the one true living God, we pray for sanctification by your word. In Jesus' name. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. Turn away my eyes from look, looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Establish your word to your servant who is devoted to fearing you. Teach, turn away my reproach, which is dread, for your judgments are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me with your righteousness. Amen. Actually, that's not the text I read last week. Okay. So be it. All right, now we're going to go to John chapter 13. And one of y'all is going to read for us real loud 31 through 35 in John chapter 13. Amen. So the context of this new commandment that Jesus gives is what? What has he just got done doing? Washing the disciples' feet at the Last Supper. Right? So he states that he recognizes that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And in that moment, he decides to take off his very shirt, so to speak, and wash the disciples' feet with it. And when he concludes doing that, he shares this teaching with them, this commandment. And this commandment is to love as he has loved. And we had a great discussion at Bible study on this passage and its relation to keeping the commandments because what a lot of people teach is that this new commandment that Jesus gave to love one another 
is really a, um, a dismissal of all the other commandments of God. That all the, all the rest of God's commandments can be put aside and all we got to do is love each other. And at uh, the conclusion of our discussion, uh, and, and hopefully we are all in, in one accord, that that's not at all what Jesus is saying, and that this text doesn't in any way dismiss all of the rest of God's commandments. As a matter of fact, you have to keep all of God's commandments in order to specifically love as Jesus loved. You can't, it's impossible to love as Jesus loved without walking in God's ways. So, so this commandment doesn't dismiss the other commandments of God. What, what I kind of received from our discussion at Bible study and, and digging more into this text is a, um, a deeper revelation of the offensive nature of agape love. All right? Meaning that much of the, as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, much of the expression of love in the church has been sort of defensive in, in nature. And, um, and one of the ways that, that I personally can fall into that defensive nature of love is really as it relates to the commandments, I'm just going to do that. I'm just going to, as the head of my home and, and leader of my family, I'm just going to make sure that my family walks in God's ways in, in, in that just in doing that, that's going to be a witness. And as we discussed um, on Tuesday, there is, there is a aspect to that virtuous life in that set apart home that is certainly a witness. And in fact, to be a real witness, that absolutely has to be in place, right? But what does Jesus say will be seen by others and will be recognized as someone who's been with Jesus and it's love. So, so as we've talked about, love is the, is the piece of the witness that is the intersection point with people or um, the tip of the spear, as I've kind of called it the last few weeks, that, that um, keeping God's commandments is necessary. And as we read in Psalm 119, and that's probably why we were supposed to start with that, there's incredible personal and family and congregational um, protection and benefits and blessings that come from keeping God's commandments. It's hugely important that we do so. But it's not keeping God's commandments that's first and foremost going to get recognized by the unbelieving world that's, that they're going to use and see to recognize that we've been with Jesus. It's love. Love is the touch point and the tip of the spear and the, 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 um, the place where our witness can become offensive in nature as opposed to defensive. Does that sort of make sense? So um, one of the ways that, that the Lord is really helping me to, um, to, to hone in on this offensive nature of agape love is to... Um, remember and recognize Pentecost within the larger redemptive story. So as we talked about last week, absolutely any, every one of us from the youngest to the oldest are qualified and capable of sharing the gospel. And the reason that is, is because um, for some time now, the Holy Spirit has been teaching this congregation the holy days. And what he's shown us most specifically about the holy days is that they teach the gospel. They are the gospel in, in every way and from beginning to end, the holy days share and are the manifold wisdom of God and the mystery of ages and the gospel plan. So all you have to do to know the, the full gospel story is to know the holy days. So what a gift it is to have walked in each now for several years, as we learn more and more about each day, we don't learn about the day, we learn about the gospel and each of those elements within the gospel. So what we know uh, this year and what the Lord has shown us and, and focuses us on this year is 
that Pentecost, as we talked about last week, was really the birth of the church. And um, within the larger redemptive story, that's a super important um, thing to remember because it gives us the why for the entire period of time that we're going to live, which is the church age. We live in the time between Pentecost and the Feast of Trumpets or the Day of Trumpets or the return of Christ, right? And we know the word teaches that when Christ returns, he's going to gather, right? And when he gathers, as he gathers, he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. And, and that whole gathering or that whole harvest, if you will, is literally the why behind the entire church age. It's the why behind the entire church. It's the why behind every one of our uh, being born again, purchased, brought into the master's business. It's all about the harvest. And so we have to recognize Pentecost within that story to recognize what's given at Pentecost is empowerment from on high for the church or the congregation or the family or the individual to play our part in this part of the story. And our part in every family's part and every congregation's part and the church in general is to be the mouthpiece for the gospel. So that when the harvest is completed, all of those who belong to God, whom he has chosen, are gathered. Does that make sense? So in order for um, us to play that part, this is where the Lord has really convicted me. It's not enough for the Sass family to just keep God's commandments. Is that awesome? Absolutely. Is it super um, is it a huge blessing to the Sass family that we walk in God's commandments? A hundred percent. Does it in, in um, powerful ways bear witness to the reality of the one true living God? A hundred percent. All of that is absolutely true. But, but that can be done with sort of a defensive mindset. And, and if we settled into that defensive mindset, we would be missing the point of the church age and we would... And we would fail in the, in the full contribution that we're called to make. Right? Remember when, when Jesus says that upon the rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail? Remember, um, gates are defensive measures. So it's hell and the enemy that's on the defense when the church is the church. And so we need to recognize that what we are empowered to do at Pentecost is storm the gates of hell and take back everything that's been stolen. So that is an offensive call. And that is where I'm, I am coming to see that. So if, if we go back to Pentecost, we know Jesus says you're going to wait in the upper room until you are, until the promise is fulfilled and you are empowered to be a faithful witness. Well, a faithful witness to Christ Right? So what does that ultimately mean? It means that we bear witness that Jesus is everything the scriptures say he was. Right? Every prophecy, every promise, every aspect of, uh, of the, the manifold wisdom of God, that biggest scroll in his hand, uh, we bear witness that Jesus fulfilled all those prophecies, that he is Messiah, that he is King, and that he is Lord. And and, and, and maybe most importantly, that he was the first fruits of that harvest that this is all pointing towards. So the fact that one was raised in the middle when the rest are going to be raised in the end means what to us? This is what the Lord has been teaching us, that we have now the opportunity to partake in the divine nature or to live the resurrected life as we are buried in Christ. So too, we are raised with Christ. So we have this opportunity to partake in the divine nature and live this resurrection life. And, and at the end of the day, those are the only two real things that bear witness to Christ, are they not? It's not being nice, right? Being nice does not bear witness. What bears witness to the fact that one was raised in the middle of history? Well, the fact that a divine nature is now available and the fact that a resurrected life is now available, those bear witness that Christ is who he says he is. 
and, and, and to, to bring it all to a, to a point, the, 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 the final manifestation of both the divine nature and the resurrected life is agape love. It is the manifestation of those two impossible things. And therefore, it is the ultimate witness that Jesus is who he says he is. Amen? So we've got to walk in agape love, period, to bear witness. And agape love goes beyond just keeping God's commandments, although that is foundational to both the divine nature and the resurrected life. Agape love is an act of intention. So when Jesus says, love each other as I love you, he is, he is calling the body of Christ to an, a specific intention, and that intention is agape love. Amen? So as we've talked about, agape love is not based on a feeling. It is based on the sovereign will of God. It is an outflow of his sovereign will. It is an act of intention. It is not deterred by any conditions. It is often selfless in nature, and it is ultimately the tip of the spear so that those who do not yet know or have not yet answered the gospel to have it revealed to them. So harvest is always the why, the broad why, the foundational why. What the Lord has been showing us now for several years is that although the broad why of our witness is the harvest that perhaps each year and, and probably way more specifically, like literally every day, that specific witness that we're going to be called to make is, is much more specific than that. And, and for several years now, Pentecost, we have been praying for sort of a specific empowerment to play a specific, to make a specific contribution all under the, the why of harvest and all under the the, the um, category, if you will, of agape love, but there are assignments or specific asks, aspects of agape love that, that I think are going to be unique in, in that um, God's giving us awareness for and specifically in this case, empowerment for. So on Pentecost last week, we prayed for that empowerment for this year's contribution or for this year's assignment or for this year's kind of specific direction. And that direction is to love as Jesus loved. And isn't it interesting, like Lizzie said on Tuesday, that we've had several delays in Bible study coming, coming together for various reasons. And it was the very week that we prayed for it that this text came up in John chapter 13. You know, God's timing is just always so perfect. So it's just a reminder um, for me, yes, we're called to love as Jesus loved, but, but, but I was reminded one more time why. Why are we called to Jesus uh, love? Why is it so important? Well, Jesus' own words say it's because that is what the world is going to see and know. That is what's going to get attention. That is what's going to open people's eyes. We can keep the commandments in our home, and that's going to have some effect. But when we take that extra step as a family and as individuals and as a congregation to be intentional about agape loving this world, fruit's coming. And mark my words, one year from now, we will be celebrating fruit, eternal fruit, adoptions. Amen. So um, I feel like today we're going to go um, into and start beginning a beginning uh, study and discussion on really practical applications of walking in agape love. And, and uh, today's, you know, just <laughs> almost like the, it's the opening um, act of intention. I really believe this is the opening act of intention that the body of Christ and, and each of us as individuals will be, are going to be schooled on and trained on and taught on as this is really where agape love starts. And, um, and the Lord was kind of dealing with me on this about three weeks ago, and it's kind of come 
to a point now where it's time to, to talk about it and then it's basically um, looking at people uh, and specifically uh, looking in their eyes as that's where an act of agape love and, and an intentional act of God's sovereign will, it's all going to start by looking in someone's eyes. All right, so let's, let's just look at a couple texts regarding this. First one is Matthew. Someone find Matthew, 30, uh, Matthew 9, 36 through 38, and then someone else find Mark 10, 17 through 22. Someone got the Matthew 9? Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Okay. So here's what I believe the Lord is doing. He's inclining our hearts towards the harvest. Right? Which is to say, ultimately, he's, he's teaching us his nature. He's teaching us his desire. He's teaching us his will and his plan. And um, in order for our hearts to be inclined towards harvest, we've got to see people as he sees people, right? Ultimately, that's the only way we're ever going to share the gospel with anybody is to truly have compassion on them. Is, is that not the only real motivation for sharing the gospel, right? So, so you, uh, and that is not a, I feel like the Lord is teaching me that's not a broad thing. That's a very individual thing. That's a very intimate thing to have compassion on an individual. So in order for that compassion to be felt, I feel like what the Lord is teaching is you got to see him. Mm -hmm. Truly see him. Read, read verse 36 again, Susie. So somehow, some way, as Christ looked at people, he saw much. You know, that's a lot he's seeing in people. All right, let's go to another one. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. So what, along the lines of what the Lord is teaching right now, what do you see in this passage that confirms that? Right? So there was general truth shared. And then there was a, according to the text, a moment when Jesus looked specifically at him. And it was following Jesus looking at him and feeling that love that he shared something specific to this guy's next step, right next step. Okay, this is the heart of agape love, guys, I'm telling you. This is what the Lord is teaching us. 
there is a level of of intimacy and knowing what the person that's standing in front of us needs to hear that he wants to show us how to walk in. And the first thing he is saying that we got to do is we got to look at him. Yes. All right. Why is that? Well, let's first see if this is just a Jesus thing or if it goes beyond that. Acts chapter 3. Someone please find uh, and read verses 1 through 10 in Acts chapter 3. Is this just a Jesus thing or does it go beyond him? Go ahead. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go to the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him, with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they came, excuse me, then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms in the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So let's just, um, let's just be aware, and I don't want to overread ever anything into the text. I just want to point out what's written. And what's written in this text is that as Peter and John are walking, verse 4 says specifically that they fix their eyes on this guy. So they see him, then get his attention, then offer him what he needs the most. Right? So there's, why is that detail mentioned? Perhaps it's because it's important. All right, one more time, verse, uh, I'm sorry, Acts 14, verses 8 through 10. Yes, please. I just find it really, I've never stood up for what I said, that they had their eyes fixed on him, and then they actually, he, they, like, demanded that he look at them exactly. as well. Yep. Which means, to me, I just see an eye contact thing happening, not just a general statement being made out to him. Which yep. Cool. Chapter 14, verses 8 through 10. One more time, easy to, easy to recognize the miraculous healing and, and, and overlook the, the other details because this is an awesome story. Both of these stories are amazing. Peter and John healing a, a lame man and now Paul healing a lame man. But in both cases, in the text, it says something precedes what's being given. And what does Paul do in this case? looks at him intently and sees something right that's a big big detail something about prior to the gift being given there is a intention to see the person and see specifically what they need or what they have seeing this so so does this um perhaps flow from a truth that jesus shares in matthew chapter 6 a a text that we all probably um 
would recognize the lamp is the body of the eye. If therefore the eye is good, your whole body will be filled with light. But if your eye is bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Right? So Jesus basically says that the eyes tell the truth. The truth of what? Of the condition of the heart, of the condition of the soul, of the condition of the spirit. Right? And, and I would even argue that whether or not our flesh recognizes the truth that the eyes reveal, it's the truth nonetheless. Whether or not we even know what to do with the truth that's revealed, it's the truth nonetheless. How do we know that? Because the Word of God says so. The Word of God says that the eyes reveal the truth. And what we know is that Father God only deals with the truth. So when God is going to deal with anybody, he's only going to deal with the truth. He's never going to deal with what we fake. Right? Regardless of how good you fake it. He's never going to deal with the masks that we put on, regardless of how believable they may be. Right? God's not mocked. God's not deceived. And so if he only deals with the truth, if he is calling his saints to, to walk in agape love, which is an act of intention based on his sovereign will, that truth is going to be what's going to be dealt with. Right? So, so, to, so to recognize that that's where God works, that the tip of the spear is always going to be where the truth and the lies are exposed. This is why I think um, one of the first acts, or really the first acts of intention that the Spirit is leading this congregation to engage, right, as a practice and training and, and the application of the love that we're being called to and the love that we've asked to be empowered to walk out, the first act of intention is to look in the eyes. And, and I believe that the reason that is is because the eyes reveal the truth. And I think here's, um, here's what makes this practice so valuable and what will make this practice so valuable it's that, um, that, that looking in the eyes is going to cause us to not come into a situation with a cookie-cutter love or just a, a speculation or a what I always do or a what I always say or a what I always give. I think that the body of Christ is very often falls into that kind of Christianese love that just basically comes and offers the same thing to everybody, right? And, and, um, and I think the understanding of agape love as an outflow of the Father's will and an outflow of the Father's purposes, and therefore anytime we come in with a cookie-cutter answer, we have the we stand the chance of possibly completely missing what the Father really wants to do in that case. I think he's giving us this practice almost as a, um, as a pause when we encounter someone, as something to do first, which hopefully I think is going to trigger in us what's God, what's God want for this person based on the truth that is revealed in their eyes. You hearing this? Why is this so important? We'll go to Luke 21 with me. Luke 21, and someone please read for us verses 7 through 18.
Okay, so this is the um, one of the primary places where Christ warns us of the signs that will come as we're approaching the end. And notice what he says. He says that because uh, of my name, because of your belonging to me and following me, you're going to be in conflict with people. And specifically, what people does he mention? Family, friends. He says, in some cases, you're going to be put in front of powerful people, right? Not for the right, not for good reasons, not for happy reasons. But he says, don't worry. That's that's got to happen because that's when the testimony is going to be shared. That's when the truth is going to be shared. And then he gives a specific commandment. And the commandment is what? Do not prepare what you're going to say. Okay? When you're, when you're dealing with conflict in your family and with your friends and at your workplace and anywhere else, that conflict and persecution arises because you are set apart and your life bears witness that there is one true living God. In those situations, do not prepare what you're going to say. Now, how many of us have prepared what to say? Going into a situation where you know the conversation is coming up and someone's going to ask you why you do something or why you don't do something or what about this or what about that. How many of us have had that sermon all queued up? Right? And had the role play going on in the head and had all the scriptures in the back pocket. Every one of us have done that. Right? And here's the truth, saints. That's okay because to me that communicates an authentic desire to share the truth. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what this text teaches me and what I think that Jesus is teaching me is that there's something better. There's something better than a prepared sermon and a practiced answer. But the commandment to me, I think, can be, needs to be heard for what it is, right? Because the promise is what? The promise is, I'll speak through you in those moments. What moments? The moment when you're ministering to your family, I will speak through you. The, minute when you're, the moment when you're ministering at your workplace, I will speak through you. The moment when you're ministering to your wife or your kids or your husband, I will speak through you. I will do that. That's the promise. But the commandment is to do what? Don't prepare. Right? I think we just got to get super practical with what's being said here. Just don't prepare. As long as you'll be faithful to not prepare, God will be faithful to give you the words. So beautiful. It's, it's literally the opposite of what most Christians do. We come, we, we come with our cookie-cutter Christianese, don't we? We come with the, the, the answers that we always give, the scriptures that we always use. Right? And Jesus is just saying there's something better. Why? Because the Spirit knows everything. Right? Another one, uh, Matthew 10, verses 16 through 20. Let's just read that one. Go ahead, Diane. No, oh. I love the part in 15 too where it actually says, I think part of our problem is we, we come to teach and we don't view that there are adversaries and they could even be within our family or our workplaces. But it says that if they are truly our adversaries, they won't even be able to contradict or resist because God's going to give us the wisdom. I just think that's a very peaceful place to look at it. So peaceful, so powerful, so uh, courage building. Not dependent. Not dependent on us. Don't need a degree. Don't need a Bible class. Don't need all the scriptures memorized. Is there anything wrong with any of those things? Gosh, no. 
Is it awesome to, to know the scriptures for why we do what we do? It better be. It better be the only reason you do what you do. But what the Spirit's teaching me is that when the rubber hits the road and I am face to face with someone and I am looking in their eyes and truth about what they need and what's going on inside is somehow, some way being revealed to the Holy Spirit that's inside of me. The Holy Spirit that's inside of me is who wants to respond and who wants to give what needs to be given. And I stand the, um, the possibility of completely blocking that if I come in with my cookie cutter answer. And most of the time I'm given my cookie cutter answer, I haven't even looked him in the face. So Matthew 10, 16 through 20, anyone find that? Go ahead, Lizzie. That is a promise, guys. It's a promise to us. It is a promise to us. Why is it a promise? Because the whole point of this entire time is for God's will regarding who's being gathered, how they're being gathered, when they're being gathered, for all of his purposes to be walked out. That's the whole point. He knows who, he knows when, he knows how, he knows where. Luke, the Luke passage says, don't worry about how or what to say. God's got both of those. How to say it and what to say. It's a promise those words will be given to us. We do not have to have the words. What we have to be obedient to do is not come in with our prepared answers. Is that a hard thing to do? Yeah. It's hard for me. Does that mean you're totally relying on God? Totally. Now what's amazing now what's amazing about this teaching is that it's, it's not just Jesus being teacher, it's also Jesus being prophet, yeah. right? Because, because um, Jesus is prophesying uh, to his disciples in this moment. He's telling them something that they will experience, yeah. and they do, and we get to read about it. Yeah. So let's do, okay? Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Jesus says to his disciples, you will, because of me, be brought in front of kings and rulers, governors and high priests. And in that moment, do not prepare what to say. The words will be given to you. He was prophesying to them, right? So in Acts chapter 4, they are brought before exactly who Jesus said they'd be brought before. And the Spirit of God gives them the words to speak. So let's read the impact. When it is not stock answers and cookie cutter answers, but rather true saints that have the Holy Spirit inside them who have been empowered from on high to be a, a true and faithful witness, what does that accomplish? Who's got it? as many 
Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people, people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has made it, has been made well, let it be known to you all, and to all people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Okay, before you read verse 13, let's recognize this as the fulfillment of the prophecy of what Jesus prophesied would happen and of these two disciples being obedient. How do we know they were obedient and, and what dot is or, or detail is given to us that connects these dots? Verse 8 says Peter was what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, that's such a critical thing. This is not Peter the, the old man. This is Peter the new man. This is Peter walking in the divine nature. This is Peter walking in agape love. This is not Peter's answer. This is the Holy Spirit speaking through Peter. And his answer brings about a specific response. And that's verse 13. Angie, you want to read that? Isn't that amazing? Because here's the, here's the real transparent moment. The real transparency is when we prepare, it's often our pride that is motivating what we prepare. Because, because what the flesh wants and what the pride desires is to be recognized. Even in ministry. Or maybe it's more accurate to say, especially in ministry. So whenever I come to someone in need and I, I because of what I know, reveal some something, teach something, direct something, suggest something. It's really often self-motivated. That's, that's the real honest truth. And so it takes a tremendous amount of humility to, to, to push away, push aside any answer or response or, or act of love that draws attention to self. And, and what this text is teaching me is I believe that when we are obedient to not prepare, to not offer what we have, right, but to trust the promise that the words will be given to us, the way in which we recognize that that is happening is that all of the fruit that comes will glorify God. Somehow, some way, there'll be a revelation that You've been with Jesus. Like, that's it. That is the revelation. And what are we ultimately talking about? Bearing witness. Right? Bearing witness that what? Jesus is real and is who he says he is. So, so if I give an answer that shows people how good I am, how does that bear witness? It doesn't. If I give an answer that people recognize is way beyond me, Right, if their first thought is, he doesn't know, he's uneducated. He doesn't know anything. And yet, the words that come forth, somehow, some way, they know that Jesus is real. Like, how many of us, I know we've all done the first, lots of preparation and, and planning. How many of us have had an experience with what's commanded? which is totally unprepared, 
and nothing but a vessel. It absolutely had the Spirit of God speak through you. What is the, what is the impact every time? It's way different, is it not? It's way different. First of all, there is no elevation of, of, the, of the vessel ever. There's always only a turning of that person towards God. Right? And it's because of the text that I'm hoping each of you will write down and, and will meditate on this week and maybe the entire year. But it's um, from Jeremiah 23. And if you don't remember anything else today, this is what I hope you'll remember. We know Jeremiah 23 is all about false prophets and false teachers. And as the prophet is contrasting the words of the flesh versus the words of the father, this is how he puts it, and I love it. Verse 20, 28 and 29 of Jeremiah 23. The prophet who has a dream, let him tell a dream. And he who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. For what is the chaff to the wheat, says the Lord? Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, like a hammer that breaks the rock to pieces? That's the difference between what Eric has to offer and what the Holy Spirit offers. That's the difference of a witness being, look at what I know versus what the Father knows that person needs to hear. So we, it's already happening, by the way. The prayers that we made at Pentecost are already being answered. I don't know how many else are already experiencing it, but I absolutely already am. Meaning what? There's already been an empowerment given to walk in this love, a different kind of love than I've walked in before. It's already happening. Why would I expect there'd be a delay? There, there isn't. It's not, there's no delay. It's already upon us. The empowerment has already been given. I promise every one of us that made that prayer that the empowerment's been given. Right? So, so what should you expect? You should expect to walk in agape love. That's what I'm telling you, every one of us. To begin loving as we've not loved before. Because it's already happening. And what the, what the Spirit is showing me is that this is an act of intention. And so there are specific new, new practices to, to um, engage. And, and today we're getting one and a half or two. All right, the first one is what? When we encounter someone, the first thing that we're to do is what? Look them in the eyes. Because we gotta see people. This love is about people. Yes, ma'am. Super, super personal. I think that's maybe the most um, most corrective thing the Lord is doing in my heart regarding agape love is is um, He's removing all of the the cookie cutter crap. He's removing all of the the going through the motions, all of the stock answers, all of the this is what you always do, 
um, literally in the gym for me this is the this is the place where it's where I'm seeing it immediately and and uh, you know the reality is is I got a amazing opportunity very first thing every day to be around people and so it started honest to God started the first Monday after Pentecost and I went into the gym and I and I wasn't even at this point yet but I but I felt like the Lord told me every every guy that's there look him in the eyes just start looking in the eyes when you walk in the gym and and for a week now the the conversations that have emerged from just starting by looking them in the eye have totally changed totally changed so that's a that's a um, an example that i can give as this love is not a feeling this love is an act of intention it is a decision right so the lord is teaching us you need to decide to see people and if you have the courage to decide to look people in the eye, something is going to be revealed to you. The truth is. And the step that we add today to that is and recognize that, that whatever is revealed, I, I have the response. You don't need it. You don't have it. If you share your, you know, what you think, you, you, you likely can get in the way. So don't prepare, just look people in the eyes and trust me to give you the words that you need to speak. And it's happening, man. It's totally happening. So there's more testimonies coming and, and everyone will, will share in it. And, it's, and it needs to happen at Walmart and it needs to happen over lunch when you go home and it needs to happen every time when you wake up and face your spouse in the morning and, and, and everywhere, everywhere this is available. And Jesus literally said, in that text you got to pray for the harvest because it's ready and, and and no one's doing this yes ma'am okay didn't it say uh i think about the rich young ruler um you know the distinct distance of him versus the others is that he was given truth but he wasn't happy with the truth that oh we'll get to that you. so i'm just saying that like sometimes i know me that there have been times that i feel like i i withhold because i'm afraid of how they'll respond yep we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to get to that because that's a big, big deal. Yes, ma'am. And not only can we know that we are capable, but we know we've literally just prayed for it on Pentecost of 2021 to be empowered to walk in this love. There's nothing more certain. So now we got to do our part, which is be intentional. Amen. We'll keep, we'll continue next week. Father, we just pray uh, today that you would convict each of us of the of the simple first steps that you are bringing us to we recognize that your ways are perfect your timing is perfect your your, your teaching and correction and sanctification for each of us is perfect so we don't have to get ahead of ourselves. all we have to do is obey so if it is your word to this congregation today that the first right step for each of us is to begin looking people in the eye, then I pray each of us would be convicted to do that. Lord, if, you, if, if the addition to that step is that each of us are to um, make it a practice not to prepare what to say, but rather trust you to be given the words in those moments, then I pray each of us be convicted to do that.
In Jesus' name, amen.